Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about sales meeting equals sample engagement. Yeah. That sounded kind of funny. <laughs> so this was suggested by Ben Barry on Twitter in response to a tweet from Blair Ends. And it's it's a in general, it's about setting expectations and having boundaries and sticking to them. But it's a very specific application of the concept because I know we've talked about that before in a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. But it it and it's one of those things that I think is sort of obvious when you say it, but in the thick of things when you're trying to close a deal or you know for whatever reason you're a little bit nervous or you need the job or you really want to work with this particular client, you can do things that end up blowing up in your face later. Mm-hmm. Like that. <laughs> it's kind of when you hear yourself going, "Oh yes." I can do that. Yes, I can do right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> so you were you were telling a little story before the show about about the client always being right versus the client always being wrong, and having that kind of a viewpoint, and and you see those two you see those two things in the wild where people are like you know mm-hmm. that's a it's a cliche right oh the customer is always right, but then on the other hand people are like. You know, don't let you also see advice like don't let the client tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And there's there's like a paradox there. It's like, well, which one is it? And I, I think it's I think what it boils down to is the client is always right about the outcome that they want, but they're usually it's more often that they're wrong about how to get to that outcome. Which is the reason they're talking to you it, in the first place. Exactly. It's That's kind of, it, this is a mindset, I think, because I don't think either extreme is correct. I don't think the client is always wrong and I don't think they're always right. Um, you know, my husband and I argue about that because, you know, he's in a field where they're doing creative for big organizations and then translating that into commercials. So clients don't understand the technical intricacies of certain things, but they understand what they want. They understand what they want their sales to do after somebody watches that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think from my own standpoint with people I've worked with over the years in all different um, parts of my life is that the people who believe that the client is always right wind up becoming doormats, right? Those are the people who, and they, they usually get wise. People don't stay that way forever. But those are the people who say, oh, God, client X is terrible. They're keeping me up all night. I'm worried about this. They're doing that. Um, it's because you believe that they're right rather than focusing on the solution, on the outcomes that you've all agreed, hopefully, um, that, that you're going to measure your success by. Yep. Yeah. And that's the, and the problem a lot of times, especially with hourly billers is they don't need to find out the outcome in order to start making money because Mm -hmm. it's like, if the clock is ticking, you're, you're bringing in cash. So they can, they can get away with skipping right over the, the like, well, what are we even doing here? Like, what is the point of this? What is the business outcome? What transformation do you hope to achieve here? How are we going to measure it? How will we know we can declare victory? You don't have to have any of those conversations because the scope can crawl on forever and you're just going to keep getting paid until until the client eventually gets fed up with the fact that they have never gotten to where they wanted to go. Maybe they never even told you where they wanted to go. It just was unstated. It was left unstated. It might be extra pair of hands. I need somebody to help me 
um, do the employee compensation um, workarounds for this season, quote unquote. And so it's mm-hmm. like three months of, you know, doing extra pair of hands work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't really exactly know when it's done until the client tells you. And then sometimes they're going to still find things for you to do. Right. It's like the employee mentality where, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, um, it's not impossible to push back on your boss, but in general, it's like, look, I'm the boss. This is what we need you to do. Uh, maybe they are a good boss and they'll sort of explain to you the reasoning and why it makes sense to do it, but maybe they don't. And, and continuing to have that attitude in, in a project, especially if you're giving fixed prices, as I advocate, you know, if they're, you know, however you calculate the fixed price, whether it's value-based or cost or whatever, uh, if you, if you have a fixed price for a project and you aren't good at managing the client, then you're going to have a real hard time managing the scope. And then you're going to have a real hard time being profitable. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one of the, that's the, the scary piece, the scary piece. And it's where you can get yourself in trouble when you're switching off of hourly billing into some kind of fixed price model is that you don't have the skills to push back in the sales meeting. And, and well, you don't have the skills to push back on the, pro, on, the on the project because you set the tone in the sales meeting yes. that the the customer is always right or the client is always right. That's really what it is. It's because once you start doing it in the sales meeting, it's a preview, right. and clients don't push back if they know that they can't get there. It's a it's a form of setting very strong boundaries, and I think most of the people that I've worked with figure that out along this path of moving away from traditional hourly billing, where you're having real real scoping conversations. Right? What are we going to do here? What's the outcome we want? How is that going to work? And when they start, or when you start asking or framing questions in a way that's outcome focused, the clients go right with you. Yeah, they love that. Yeah, they do. It feels mm-hmm. really empowering to them, and they they like you even better. Yeah, and here's here's a an extra added benefit. If you are, you know, you you jump on a call with someone new, and you know they they heard from Becky that you're great at this thing, and you were highly recommended, and you jump on a call to find out if there's a good fit, not pitch them, not convince them to hire you or hire you instead of the next company. But it's to find out if there's a good fit, and if you if you do this using the why conversation or whatever you whatever process you use to uncover the business goals, then you're going to you're setting the expectation. It it feels like pushback. It's not really pushback, but it, you're challenging them mm-hmm. to think yeah. deeper about about the business outcomes, about their business, uh, which they are an expert on. So they are an mm-hmm. expert on their product, their customers, their, their strategy, the direction that they want to go. You are not the expert at that. So you're, you're not allowed to tell them about those things. You're not allowed <laughs> to say, oh, well, you should want to do different things with your business. So it's like you've got two different kinds of expertise that are coming together in this sales interview to see if there's a good fit between, you know, where they want to go and you being able to, you helping them potentially being the right person to help them get there. And if, if you get into that meeting and you're getting tons of pushback from the client. The client's like, why do you need to know that? Or, you know, that's that's irrelevant. We just want you to do these things. Then what you're learning is you're getting a, a sample of the engagement. You're getting mm-hmm. a preview of how they're yes. going to treat you in the engagement. And Im- immediately, it's just like you want to walk away from that. If Certainly, if you're doing any kind of 
value pricing or any, any, any kind of fixed place really, because what they're, they're saying is, no, we're going to drive the cab. We call the cabbie, but we're going to drive. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what do you need me for? If you're so smart, you guys do it. Yeah. Why don't you and just do it? Those people are unlikely to hire you. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're asking those kinds of questions and you're getting that pushback, they're not going to like that feeling um, and they probably won't hire you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like you're teaching them to be strategic or you're reinforcing it if they already are. So if they're already think about their projects very strategically and they have that language and they have that conversation, you guys are going to just mesh together and go off into the into the, the moonlight, hap, live happily ever after. Right. Arm in arm, but yeah. yeah. But if not, you can use that sales meeting as an opportunity to show them how to be strategic and they can come with you. You're demonstrating yep. and you're, you're really teaching them something. I mean, I know that sounds a little presumptuous, but you really are. You're teaching them how to think strategically about your area of expertise and how it applies to their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because almost by definition, they wouldn't be calling you if they could do this on their own. So right. it's kind of ironic that that someone would say, oh, you know, we've been We've been working on this new mobile initiative for for 18 months. We can't get it over the finish line. Here's what we want you to do. And then they give you a punch list of things that, you know, we ha- we haven't been able to land offline support. We haven't been able to, you know, fix the the uh, buttons in the checkout thing or we haven't been able to get the the uh, redirects to work properly. And and it's so it's so ironic because they've been working on it for 18 months, have proven to themselves that they can't do it and yet are like telling me <laughs> <laughs> they want to tell me how to do it. Right. And uh, invariably, it's like, well, you're trying to do it the wrong way. Like you're trying to square the circle. You know, what mm-hmm. what are and then I'll and then I'll say, "Okay, you know, but but always polite but firm, self-deprecating, um all that sort of approach, you know, you, you know, bring your people skills to the fore here because you're not trying to be arrogant or pushy or annoying or that's not just not how it's done like snobby. Right, here comes the rain. Hopefully that <laughs> Hopefully that's soothing to everyone in the background. Um, so yeah, so you can be you can be nice about it, but you do want to you you want to open their eyes to the fact that there's a reason they're calling an expert, and it, it could be that they made a fundamental a fundamentally bad decision way up front. Like they they picked a path to the mountaintop that is a dead end, mm-hmm. and we might have to unravel all of the. The, the, the work that they did for 18 months might be totally wasted. It's possible. You know, yeah, maybe some is hard salvageable. place for the client to be. Yeah. But you want to know that before money exchanges hands or money oh, changes hands. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you want to be, if they haven't figured that out, you need to be the one to tell them. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like the, the, the sort of joke I make around all of this is like, if the client pushes you around in the sales meeting, don't be surprised when they do the same thing on the project. Mm-hmm. And and again, that can be fine if you are trading time for money, or it's certainly not going to put you out of business. It might might ruin your life, your your enjoyment, <laughs> your, day, your weeks, yeah, your your year. But uh, but it's not going to put you out of business because as long as they're paying the invoices, it's like yeah, tell me, you know, it's like someone getting in a cab and saying just drive, and you turn the meter on, and you're just driving around randomly, and it's like okay. But if you're not doing that and you're trying to create leverage through something like value pricing, which 
with which you would pre present a fixed price, you can't let them drive the scope. You cannot. You can only let them define where they want to go. They get to tell you they want to go to LA and you don't really get to question that. But if you agree like, okay, we're going to LA, I'm driving or I'm making the map. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I'm either going to drive you there or I'm going to create a map for you or I'm going to give you a compass, one of those three things. And, and you're going to take the route. We're going to go my way because that's because you're the expert at, at that piece. And we'll get you there in the most, whatever, the quickest or the most comfortable or whatever makes sense with the constraints. Um, and if you do that, if you have that outcome, it allows you to control the scope of, of the actual project from going out of control because you can always be the, you can always be, I, th I think you said uh, in a previous episode, sort of um, a missionary for the project now, that's not what you said, but it was something like that, like yeah, a missionary but, for the project and not, it's not this pissing contest of like, I'm right and you're wrong. These are best practices. Don't tell me my job. Right. Our job is to hold the vision for the project. So in a way, our client is the outcome. We're always trying to get to that outcome and we couch everything that we do in those terms. Mm hmm. Because yeah. when you do that, it gets a lot easier to deal with things that are really more of a personality conflict or a power play. It's it and it, it at least for me, it always has. It just allows me not to worry about any of that stuff. It's this is what I believe it's going to take to get there. Are you are you willing to take this next step? Right. Right. Yes or no. Right. So if the client wants to get to L.A. from New York and then three weeks, you know, th you know, uh, three days into the the project, they're like. Let's spend three days at Niagara Falls and collect shells. It's like, <laughs> it's like that might be fun, but we agreed that we wanted to get to LA as quickly as possible. So I'm going to veto that because I, I, you know, I don't see how it's going to get us to the goal more quickly and they'll be forced to agree with that. So exactly. it's because and not that can because be a new experience wrong. for people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good point. Like not everyone's looking for this. Not, not everyone's looking for someone to tell them no, but great clients are are looking for that <laughs> great clients know that they can be or the organization can be their worst enemy from previous uh, projects that they've done they know that they've got shiny object syndrome or they know they know just enough to be dangerous about this thing and and maybe they fancy themselves as a little bit of a, a dabbler in what you do and they've got opinions about you know especially with design like they've got opinions about how it looks or color or typography, mm -hmm. or if it's, you know, if it's user interface, you know, they, they can see this output or it's, you know, it's a, it's writing and they're like, Oh, I don't like the, I don't, I don't like, the, I know you're the writer, but I would prefer that if, if it sounded more like this. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a kid in a way where you need to be like, I understand that you're excited about that. And I understand that you're communicating to me that something that, I've delivered, it feels like it's out of sync with where we want to go. So, and, and this is my line, whenever that would happen, I would always say, what's the business case for this change that you're requesting? Mm. And, you know, because they would be like, because I've had great, great clients who would just communicate their, their, their default method for communicating, but uh, not a change in direction, but like something that's not quite right. Their default method would be kind of like empathetically translated into my terms for me. So it would be like they would come to me like, you know, something's not right with the, the app or something. And it's like maybe we could try using Google Analytics or installing uh, some different 
code, you know, analytics code, you know, and they, they'd be getting into my territory with mm-hmm. the suggestions. And I always, I'd be like, okay, well, I mean, we could do all of those things, but what's the business case? And, you know, I'm thinking of one particular client, he would always laugh because I always said the exact same thing. And he knew <laughs> that what I was doing was I was rejecting his prescription, or at least I was going to validate his prescription because it wasn't necessarily wrong. I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to paint us into a corner or get us in trouble or there maybe there was an easier way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was always like that. It's like, let's get back to the, the big picture like you were saying you help them think more strategically it's like it's like let's think more big picture because it's too easy to to you know miss the forest for the trees when you're when you're uh, in the middle of a project and there are a million little details flying around and communication is so difficult communication is so difficult and just in general to like actually get your message across um, so yeah and so to take it back to the point of the episode you want you it's probably the hardest place to do this or the most maybe it's not hardest isn't the right word the most tempting place to violate this principle and just say yes is the sales meeting so you can if you're not like if you're not like indoctrinated into how horribly wrong it can go if you're still sort of newer and you really want the gig or maybe you pivoted into a new business and you really need this client it is so tempting mm-hmm to just let them to just be like, here's this punch list of things we want you to do. And you're like, okay, yes, yes, I can do that. Let's do it. <laughs> or you ignore the warning signs when they start to veer off into something that isn't mission critical. And because it, it, this is an audition for them too. When you see how they react, chances are that's how they're going to be in the project. So if you've got a dysfunctional team that you're working with and you see that in a new business meeting, now a lot of dysfunctional teams can hide that in a single meeting, but it's really hard to hide after two or three or four. <laughs> so, you know, you want to, your, your ears, after you've been doing it for a while, you know, your ears are going to perk up when you hear those little, those little clues. Um, and I, I used to do a lot of uh, merger and acquisition work where, you know, tempers and emotions would be very high. And I had um, the client who was uh, the head of the HR for this one organization always wanted to talk about everything in deep um, both strategically and then in deep detail. And he like at a meeting that you and I could do in 10 minutes would be two hours. Yeah, with five people. Uh, Well, sometimes, yeah, not always, but um, yeah, and it was really challenging to manage those kinds of people, but the only way I ever found to do it was to focus on the outcome, because it was just his style. It's how he liked to hear himself talk about it, and he wanted to pontificate, and he liked having an audience, and you know, there was this part of me that was like, you know, my my legs were moving really fast under the desk, because I just wanted to get out of there and get moving, but you know, some of that is, you know, some of that we invest, because it's part of interpersonal relationships, and that's the way the client is in that situation. But you can use these techniques to focus on the outcome and to teach your clients how to be more strategic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's it's a boundaries thing, you know, and it's about finding, yeah. finding, I guess, socially acceptable ways to say no, to push back to and it's it's all in their best interest. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's not this thing where like you're being snobby or, you know, I'm the expert. Right. And and it's all about the success of the project. So the, and the sales, sometimes I call it the sales interview because it's an interview to me more Mm -hmm. because I like to call, I mean, it's a meeting, but 
um, I like to call out the fact that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you and yes. like a job interview, you know, for somebody yes. who doesn't really need the job, they've got lots of possible jobs that they could take. It's the same kind of thing. You're interviewing them and you're asking them these why com uh, questions and, and it's, yeah, it's just challenging. You're going to see, you're, it's going to challenge them and they're going to reveal a lot. Like you said, they're not going to reveal everything. There still can be surprises and so forth, but, but you will flush out a lot of red flags if, if they're there to be flushed out. And if a lot of them pop out, then it's like, I don't know. I think these people want to either they, um, they're just not looking, you know, they, it's not that they might not have a good strategy. Like they might already have worked with someone or they are they're already strategic thinkers and they're really clear on what they want and they're just looking for someone to execute. We don't want to relitigate the blueprints that we have for this building. We want you to just build it. If you don't want to build it, fine, but we're not getting into this like maybe the blueprints are wrong conversation. We've already that sh- ship has sailed. <laughs> so that's that's fine. That's good to know and you can decide to take or leave that opportunity. Uh, another thing that could happen this is less. This is less common. Maybe you've seen this, but um, they are looking for validation that the they're they're not actually looking for your input. They're looking for validation that the direction they've chosen is yes. a good one or the right one or a smart one. And then they probably don't need you for high value work. And again, it turns into this hand thing. Or they are looking for a scapegoat or a potential scapegoat if things go wrong. That's, so then, yeah, I saw that a lot in a big firm. You don't see that in the small ones so much. They want the good housekeeping seal of approval. Mm-hmm. And then they have somebody to blame if yep. things don't go well. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's that's the organization, the client organization needs to be large enough for lots of politics to be going on for something like that yeah. to crop yeah. up. So working with smaller organizations, it's not going to be as much, especially if you're working with the owner, there's no reason for them to want to, you know, at, at the end of the day, the buck stops with them. So you know, yeah. it, it wouldn't make sense to get someone to rubber stamp their own. <laughs> Entrepreneurs aren't interested in that. Now, family-owned businesses sometimes are small ones, True. but generally speaking, a you know, a, a business that's owned by one person, even with multiple employees, is not interested in playing politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Generally. Generally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so where does someone get the chutzpah to be this way in a sales interview or a sales meeting or this first client interview, whatever you want to call it. How is it that, that someone can get better at doing this? Do you think? Well, I think, you know, we hit on this earlier is that it starts with this mindset that this is an interview and that you, I I do believe even if it's not true, you have to tell yourself that you don't need this assignment. You don't (laughs) need this client. You have to get to that, that point. And it comes from the inside out where you're like, okay, if this is not the right fit client, I'm not going to do this. And there's a freedom that happens when you do that that I, I don't know that I can explain it exactly, but you'll know it when you feel it because you go into this meeting and, and you're totally on. You are totally wired. You're listening to what's happening. You're, you know, you're working from your genius zone, if you will. You're giving really good advice and counsel and mm-hmm. you feel it. You know yeah, the pressure's when you off. do it. Yeah. All of a sudden the, the butterflies are gone because yeah. it's not about convincing them anything. It's all about discovering what they're trying to achieve and then... Once you know that, 
whether or not you can help them get it. Like if you're going to be a good fit. So like if you're the right person to help them go there. So And it's fun. I mean, it, I, what I love about what we do is that you never know what exactly they're going to want. I mean, most people, um, they want to make more money or they yeah, want to be loved. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's of pretty, course. We all want to be loved. It's all, yeah. Yeah. Or we want to be more visible to our marketplace. We want to fill our pipeline, you know, all of those things. You know, we want those things. But the way people have gotten to where they are and why they want something and their vision of what they're doing and how that's going to impact the world, that's exciting. And it's always different. There's never two the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These interviews, they, you could think of them as an audition for the client. That's, that is how I look at them is like an audition yeah. for the client, which frames it with me in the, the, the judge seat. You know what I mean? The, mm -hmm. the, the casting director or the, the jury, you know, and it doesn't, it, and like, if you, the trick which you touched on is if you need the money, I mean, that, that's something to work to fix, like fix that first if you can't fake it like I've, I've met very few people that can go into uh, a client interview like one of these client auditions I might start calling them that I think that's funny <laughs> um, going into a client if it's if, if you feel like you're gonna do a dog and pony show or you need to pitch and sing and dance and and jazz hands your way through it to because you desperately need the money that's a dangerous position no. to be in it's really no. and it's hard to fake it um, so, you know, I say, I'd say, obviously I'm super duper anti-hourly billing, but I say to people, look, if you need to continue billing hourly, maybe 20 hours a week so that you can go into these client auditions and be dispassionate about whether or not you land the gig and be choosy, then do it. Yes. Then, then that's what you need to do. You need or, a safety net. Yeah. And, if you, if you do you need a safety net, then, then get one. Yeah, well, every, I've, I'm going to argue that everybody needs a safety net. It's just how they define a safety net. Like mm -hmm. you might say, well, I don't have to worry. My parents will cover me if I'm short. Right. Somebody else might say, I need to have $100,000 in the bank before I can even blink. You know, <laughs> everybody has a different risk risk tolerance. But the mm -hmm. important thing is that you're at a point where you feel like you're okay. That mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for you, you do not have to take this next job. That yeah. I, I'm, I promise you, the second you truly get to that headspace, your meetings start to change and you get better. Your hit rate right. might even go up. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. It's 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 almost counterintuitive. It's like the less you pitch, the more they they start pitching you. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, the, and you can get down to the you can get down to the the as they lean forward like physically, like literally and figuratively, as they, they're leaning forward into the meeting, as you ask these questions that, that are pulling them to think bigger or encouraging them mm -hmm. to think bigger, they lean in and, and you're differentiating yourself from everybody else who's pitching and just trying to, you know, is, is either always be closing or they're, they're yes, yes, yes. You know, they're just being sort of syncophantish and like, we can do anything you need, you know? Mm -hmm. if you, yeah. We can build a website and wax your floors and wash your car. Like <laughs> you, you name it. Exactly. And that's not attractive. Right. And it's scary. You feel the desperation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're right. So you, you'd think maybe you'd think, well, if I don't, I actually had this question in, in the pricing seminar the other day. Someone was like, well, at, you know, I was describing this, the sales interview and, and doing the why conversation. And the question was, well, but when do you pitch? 
like after after the Y conversation, then you pitch your services. Like, when do you do it? And I was like, you never do it. Never, you never do it. <laughs> and it was like a revelation. It's like, oh, oh, this is it. This is all we all we do. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's all you need to do. And what's going to happen is. If you do all of these things, you know, that if, if you want to call it pushing back on the client, you know, politely but firmly standing your ground about certain things, what's going to happen is you're going to have fewer disaster projects. So, so the opportunity cost of working for a year, six months to a year, or maybe even longer with an unprofitable, cranky, bossy, micromanaging client is is saved is, is that how you say it? the opportunity cost is is saved you didn't spend that opportunity money and now you're you're free to take on better clients and it's like this virtuous cycle where you would go into these sales meetings and your close rate in increases because you're only sending proposals to the clients that are going to be a home run exactly. so you're not even sending a proposal to these people that are just like uh you know and the, you, you can feel this like the the interview is like a wrestling match or like a chess game, like they're trying to like read you or or already start breaking you down for a negotiation. And you just like don't uh, write the proposal. Yeah. No, thank you, know? you sir. <laughs> yeah. So it's it does start with that safety net, like you said, though. It helps you reach escape velocity to stop working with clients who are just going to be trouble. It's like, it's that. well, this is the flip side of it. The sales meeting is a sample engagement. If they are, if it's a wrestling match in the sales meeting, what do you think it's going to be like if you take the project? Yeah, everybody's on their best behavior. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's the best behavior, and it was already a fight. Yeah, yeah. So it's just life. Life is too short, mm-hmm. and I think that it's really easy to go into this, and by into this, I mean to start a freelancing business, essentially, where you come out of some sort of a corporate or agency staff role and and you put out your shingle and you say, hey, I'm available for hire. It's it's tempting to just think of it as an employee and that the other person has all the power. But as you build your expertise, as you build how your body of knowledge and your your intellectual property, how you approach these things, your value increases every day. And that means you don't have to work for everyone, nor should you. I know I hate the should yeah. word too, but in this case it applies. Yeah. Well, it's literally not possible to work with everyone. So you're going to have to pick and choose. And so do you want to just be left at the whim of, of, you know, first come first or just always taking the first comer and just being like, okay, I guess this, this is it. Uh, I guess I have to, these are the clients I'm getting. So I, I just have to work with these terrible clients. I shouldn't, I don't like to say terrible, like clients that are yeah. bad fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah doesn't mean they're bad people. Well, I was thinking, you know, early on in this evolution, you know, this business I've been in since 2007, I was maybe three years in and I had this uh, woman reach out to me and she said, oh, you know, I'd really like to work with you. And then she said, "Um, I've I've got a request for a proposal. And it's a solo practitioner that wanted help with one thing. And I said, I don't think I understand. What do you mean in an RFP? She said, oh, well, it's written. I have 30 questions. Um, You can fill this out. (laughs) And I, you know, I was like, do I want to work with somebody who has 30 questions that have to be all answered in writing? And she's probably sending this to X number of people. So I said, just out of curiosity, how many people are you sending it to? And she said, eight and I just laughed. I said, "Well, thank you so much, but no, I'm not. I'm not interested or available for this." But it's 
What? You said no to a potential client? I know. But what cracked me up is if you were uh, proposing to big corporates, you're used to seeing RFPs probably that come through the purchasing department that have to meet certain requirements. You're used to seeing all that. Mm. One of the reasons I don't work with big organizations anymore is I don't want to deal with that. So to have a soloist come to me with a 30-question RFP (laughs) was just... It was it was the only one I've seen, and I'm sure that's just because people know I wouldn't be interested in that. But it's it's oh, it's the first yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, I thought this. I don't want to work with somebody that does that. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah they're looking for. They're looking for. I mean, first they're asking you. To, it sounded like a little bit innocent too, like maybe naive. That that she, I think you said she was expecting she, you to jump through all of these hoops and and was maybe just being efficient. Like maybe she has an engineering mindset and was just trying to be efficient. Um, I think she was afraid to fail. That was what came across in just in, reading in between oh, okay. the lines. Is yeah, it so? T- if I yeah, if I do. If I find eight people and I ask everybody the same questions and I have all the same data. I'm, I probably am not going to fail, right? Because I'm going to mm-hmm. be able to tell who's the best for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's, that's in my world, that's somebody who's holding on too tight. And <laughs> I, it's never a good match for me with somebody who's holding on too tight. I, yeah. I know that about myself. And I you know, would be doing a disservice to them. They, they, they would just be holding on by their fingernails through the whole project. And right. you know, who wants a client that's in that position? Yeah. Yeah, like a white knuckled terror the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't want to do that to somebody. Mm. So, so that reminded me of a little bit, a slightly different facet to this. This sort of sales meeting being a microcosm of the engagement of, of the larger relationship is. I feel like we've been talking a little bit about pushback and negotiation and scope and price and you know those sorts of things, but there's also just straight up communication style, and I, I have noticed that when you know if somebody is super verbose over email has a million questions or um is reluctant to get on a phone call you know it's like whatever communication style they or or here's another classic one oh we're super busy we're super busy um i can't meet until you know like two weeks from now or whatever Mm -hmm. then these are all why would you think that they would be different once money had changed hands you know like if if yeah. the client is a fire drill client is just constantly running around putting out uh, you know with emergencies all the time like if they postpone let's say let's say you put it on the calendar you put a meeting on to interview them and they postpone it three times <laughs> and they've got an excuse every time yeah what do you think is gonna happen Unless you're some sort of productivity or organizational consultant that is that is being brought in to fix that that anti pattern, then mm-hmm. then it's it's that's a unless you you're the same way and you want that like I can't imagine that being a good fit for anybody, but <laughs> but like it constantly getting ghosted, what that outcome would look like, mm-hmm. yeah, or like getting ghosted on a meeting where they don't even reschedule it, or just a, just a, another one that just came up recently where where I was talking to a student who you know it's she's it's a successful engagement but it it's not perfect and 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 I was like and we're we're figuring out how to improve this situation and I was like knowing what you know now like were there red flags that you missed in the sales interview mm, process and she's like yep exactly yes definitely there were and it it was the exact same thing there's a literal language barrier where you know english is not 
this person's first language and you know and, and my person speaks English and, and not the other person's language at all so and th- th- she noticed that it was it was hard to get a comp- like it was hard to get an answer that she was confident she understood so like she mm-hmm. would get answers but it was like but I feel like I still don't have clarity it was hard for her to get clarity on the goals and the you know the direction the strategy all of this it was hard to get clarity but she's like well it's probably just a language barrier um, or maybe it won't be it, it was it just it sort of just was like oh okay that's that's a thing but it wasn't it didn't appear like a red flag but that exact issue is the thing that's causing problems downstream mm. which isn't surprising in retrospect but it would be easy to miss you know like just sort of like let it sail past you where like you know you kind of like go in response to one of their emails in answer to your you, know, you ask a question you get an email back and you're like i guess I know what this means so I'll just move forward and it was just one piece it wasn't the whole it wasn't the main project contact or anything like that so it was kind of like someone that was involved and uh, but not a a, not a major player so it's Mm -hmm. you know it's a minor wound it wasn't it wasn't catastrophic or existential but um, (laughs) but it was there it was there at the beginning Yes. yes They inevitably are, and it's. I think it's sometimes we don't see them, but then you, you'll see them next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think other times it's that we ignore them because we think, oh, that's just a little thing. Right. It'll be okay. That'll work and itself think, out. Well, yeah, I think the key is to know what your own trigger points are. Um, there are things that people will do on a call that other people might not be able to deal with, but I can. Mm-hmm. Um, or I... I even like them, even like to deal with something that somebody else might feel as a challenge. And then there will be other, like there's a certain personality type that I don't work well with. And, you know, that's sort of the brusque, accusatory, I always have to be right kind of person. And I can <laughs> see those coming a mile away. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I just know it's not going to be a fit no matter how good a person they are or how valid their their goal is. I just... You know, it's not going to be me that's going to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. Well, they, they probably wouldn't choose me anyway, but um, you don't know until you have that conversation. <laughs> right. So have we have we given, I feel like this is one of those topics where a certain group of people in the audience are going to be like, oh, that's fine for you, mm-hmm. but I'm not to that point yet. And so I would I would just encourage people to loop back to the safety net thing and and just figure out what that is for you maybe spouse has a job maybe you sock away six months worth of rent or maybe you do work through an agency 20 hours a week while you you know the rest of the time you start to attract ideal buyers start to define and attract ideal buyers so that you can go in with the safety net behind you and kind of have them audition for you and not the other way around and then kind of bootstrap your way out of this order taker situation that so many people find themselves in. Yeah. You know, I did a tweet chat last week with a group of freelancers and, um, they'd asked me to the, their leader asked me to ask them five questions. And one of the first questions I asked was what percentage of your clients are great fit clients? And I figured I was probably going to hear like 50%. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't know what it would be, but I thought 50. One person answered 100. 
one person answered 50. Everybody else was single digits. Wow. Now, I don't know if that just they, those are the people who happen to come because of the topic. But the frustrating part, as I was you know, trying to read the tweet chats, or the tweets because they go by so fast, is that so many people just accepted that that's how it is. And that was so sad. Yes, exactly. And, and that's what I was trying to do with the group is to say, well, wait a minute. Like, what if? And I think a lot of it does come back to that safety net because they feel that they must serve these, you know, clients that are not ideal because they don't have another option. So Mm. that safety net is important and it impacts how you think about your business and how you show up for those meetings. Get the safety net. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think we've gone around the bend on this one. (laughs) Oh, we've gone around the bend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Long time ago. Um, Did I thank Ben at the top of the show? You did. Okay, good. Just checking. But do, we can thank Ben twice. Yes. Well, thanks again, thank you, ben. ben. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. If and if other folks do have questions like that, um, you know, I'm not super active on Twitter, but I check in periodically. So if you if you want to uh, mention us I'm on active. Twitter with another <laughs> yeah, question, yeah, I'm active. I'm there. Yeah, every you're day. you're just super cool. M- Tweet Monday chat. What even is that? Oh yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> fancy, very fancy. You're so cutting edge. Uh, Cool. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.